Um, so now I would like to introduce today's speaker, which is Mike, our wonderful pastor of worship and spiritual formation. So let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for the greeting. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. It's good to uh, be in worship. And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit. This may be no surprise to you, but religion is trending down. According to the most recent Gallup poll taken of the U.S. population, now less than half claim any affiliation with a church or a, a mosque or a synagogue. That number now is at 47%, according to the latest poll. It's really the first time since Gallup began surveying Americans about their religious affiliation in 1937 that there hasn't been this overwhelming majority of those who would say they belong to a house of worship, such as the River Church. At the turn of the century, that number was closer to 70%. Nearly three-fourths of the U.S. had some affiliation with a religious community only two decades ago. Now, we, we understand that polls are not everything, and maybe they don't quite capture the full scope of the religious landscape in 2022, but here in this part of the world, we know that polls are pretty telling. Politicians will stake everything on the numbers of their polls, tells them which direction to steer their candidacy in order to win the most amount of votes. So while survey data doesn't paint a complete picture as thinking people, and as Christian thinking people especially, I cannot help but wonder what this trend is bringing to light. So just what are we to think about religious decline in our time? I have to admit that I've been rather conflicted when thinking about this over the past week or so, and this morning I want to bring you into my ways that I've been processing it all. My hope is that maybe if I can share with you how I've been thinking through it, that it might bring some perspective for all of us. My first reaction to this Gallup poll was a feeling of sadness, really. It was when I read that, my heart kind of dropped. because. Church has been a big part of my life as far back as I can remember. The preaching, the reading of scripture, singing songs and hymns, listening to the choir, going through the church year, Advent into Christmas and Lent into Easter. The sights and sounds of church have been the backdrop and the soundtrack of my life to this point. Being active in a church community has been the rhythm of how I've navigated my world. After all, my belief in God was cultivated in the context of a loving church community, kind of like we have here. It was in those circles that I've come to understand grace as the church body cares for one another. My sense of the mystery of God has come from participating in and observing moments like baptism and communion, which we'll be observing next Sunday. So come and be a part of that. The ministry of music and the arts have been significant in my life. To lead in the church's worship has been the whole of my professional career, but it's also held a very special place for me personally. See, worship is where I've celebrated the goodness of God, 
and I've wrestled with the trials of life, but it's always been a safe place to reconcile my doubts and my shortcomings. Visual art, spoken word, movement, drama, the arts of the church have given me this connection to the sacred in a world that is often dulled down and oversimplified and sometimes can just be mundane. But walking into a church building, there's this comfort that this is a safe place. And maybe many of you have felt that here at the river, and I hope you have. So naturally thinking about that, it brings kind of this sort of sadness, maybe even a loss, that some don't share that same experience. And I've wondered to myself this week, where do some go to feel a deep sense of connection and belonging? Where is it that they hear that they are loved unconditionally and have a vital part to play in life on this planet? And I have to admit, as soon as I started to feel those feelings of sadness, I had other realizations that maybe these polling numbers weren't all that bad. For one, maybe what is being reflected is this wholesale rejection of certain brands of religion. Here in America, we have seen how religious fervor can get often knotted up with nationalistic pursuits. And as of late, it's reared its ugly heads in what many have called Christian nationalism, this sort of fusion of a false Christianity and American ideals and identity. This is the brand of religion that defines the agenda of the far right. And from what I've seen, it has fueled so much hatred and bigotry and injustice in our country. So maybe what we are seeing is this wholesale rebellion against this brand of religion. And if that's the case, count me in. I want nothing to do with that kind of Christianity. I also had another thought. Maybe this downward trend is pointing to a collective resistance to fundamentalism, these ideologies that are defined by legalism and tribalism. We've seen how religious systems that are propped up by binary thinking can do so much harm. And fundamentalism has only heightened the rage against the LGBTQ community, and those who hold to it see themselves as gatekeepers saying what is wrong and what is right, who can love who, what the ideal family structure should look like, and who has access to God and the afterlife. We've seen how fundamentalist religion has weaponized the Bible in order to push moral agendas, and for me, in the process, has completely missed this gospel of grace and love that Jesus taught and modeled. So maybe the recent trends are in this way putting a finger on this collective pulse of the society that is canceling fundamentalism. To me, that would be a healthy movement forward, a move away from binary thinking and religious legalism and further down the road to grace, acceptance, and love. And I can get on board with that. Then there are the nuns. You know this category of people, N-O-N-E-S. We have to consider that this is a surging category of folks who claim no religious affiliation at all, even distinct from those who would self-identify as atheists or agnostic. A recent article put out by the Pew Research Center stated that the most common reason that many identify in the nuns category is due to questions around religious teachings. 
And could it be that religious decline in our world today is due to a growing distrust of the narrow, exclusive doctrines of the church? And these numbers reveal that many are turning away from these establishments because of a neglectful or at least a dangerously neutral position regarding social justice. And the nuns have taken notice and are saying, no thanks, I want nothing to do with that form of spirituality. There's too much priest and Levite and not enough good Samaritan. And all the talk doesn't quite line up with the action. Well, one doesn't need to be a news junkie to notice that we've had some prominent Christian figures showing up in our headlines and on our TV screens as of late, and not for the right reasons. And I just think that there's this mass skepticism of Christianity in our world, and it's, it's really hard to blame them. We look at all the abuse scandals that are going on, the mismanagement of resources, the devaluing of women, this kind of cult-like manipulation the racial injustice, the list seems to be growing and growing and growing. I saw just yesterday that the FBI is investigating the Southern Baptist Church for more abuses, and I feel like this is what is taking up the headlines as of late. And if I can be honest, I think there are many days that I feel like one of those nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Maybe you felt the same embarrassed to kind of associate myself with the same brand of faith as other Christians have been putting on display lately. I think ours is a time where we kind of have to define terms when we speak of faith and spirituality. We, we have to say, what is the brand of Christianity that we are identifying with? What is the kind of Christian church that we actually go to set apart from those other Christian churches it's, it's sort of sad, I, I feel. Maybe this recent trend in religion is showing us how some are opting out because of the way that pastors and teachers and institutions have misrepresented the gospel of Jesus. As a member of the clergy, I have to keep in perspective the expansive nature of the gospel that cannot and will not and never has been solely confined within the bounds of institutional religion. I often have to tell myself that God is always bigger than that, always before us, always pulling us along. In this week, I thought about that great line from the J.R.R. Tolkien poem, which says, not all who wander are lost. Have you seen this? The reminders are everywhere. It's printed on T-shirts and bumper stickers and hats and coffee mugs. And I just love that reminder that not all who wander are lost. This idea really challenges my tendencies, especially as one who's been invested in lifelong church work. What that says to me is that everything can't be broken down and fit into convenient little boxes and not everything can be given a label. Wandering, I believe, is part of the journey of faith. It's not outside of it. Has a church made too little room for wandering and doubt in the spiritual life? Have those that have championed Christianity in our time left out a theology of suffering, a theology of grief, teaching that the deep experiences of life have no place in the journey of faith? If I can be honest with you, I think we in the church have to learn to make even more room for things like 
mystery and unknowing and embrace it as part of what it means to be human. Maybe that's what our world needs to see from us in the church, a place and a people that seek to give right questions and not always right answers, always asking the deep questions of life without the need to always jump to easy answers. This has been some of my inner processing these days when I think about religious decline and when I think about what the church can be in our time, and really I'm led to hope and possibility. I see that there is something big on the horizon. The late American theologian and author Phyllis Tickle says that what we are experiencing here in the 21st century is what she called the great emergence. I don't know if you've heard this term. This is the idea that every 500 years, Christianity goes through a major shift, and the power structures are kind of dismantled, and this causes an upheaval not only in the church but also in society, and it's all but necessary in order to birth something new. It's a clearinghouse of sorts. The outdated and problematic forms of religion are discarded in order to allow for this new thing to emerge the great emergence. History shows us that this isn't only necessary, but it's inevitable. And I promise that this will be a short history lesson, but I want to walk us through a little bit of it. If we trace our timeline back 500 years, it lands us in the time of the Great Reformation, a a pivotal season really in the church's history and as a society in whole. We remember that scene when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door in Wittenberg. It was to challenge those in power in the Roman church, and the Great Reformation was underway. 500 years before this was a period known as the Great Schism in the middle of the 11th century. In short, this was a tumultuous movement which essentially split Christianity into two divisions, the Roman Catholic church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. But this separation had major implications throughout the known world. And the issues they argue over may seem minor to us today, but really the tension was over what would be the dominant expression of Christianity, especially in the West. 500 years, if we trace that, before the Great Schism was the fall of the Roman Empire, which eventually led into an era known as the Dark Ages. This was in the 6th century. And the issues and disagreements were a little bit different than the ones before it, but the overarching questions remained the same. Phyllis Tickle in her book highlights these major shifts and suggests that we are going through one of these in our own time, one of these reformations, the great emergence. And the wars we are raging today center on different topics, yet we are tasked here in the church with the same question, which brand of Christianity will emerge as the one to meet the present need? And really, if you ask it a different way, which brands of religion in our society will be exposed as counterfeit and be discarded? You see, what resulted in each of these reformations was simply a return to the essentials, to the foundations of our faith. It was a birth of sorts that emerges a religion more inclusive and more universal, like it was always meant to be.
But none of these significant shifts are as significant if we go back even 500 years more to the life ministry of Jesus Christ. See, in the first century CE, the Christian church was being formed, but it took its identity from the words of Jesus of Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 5, he gives a sermon on the mount. Maybe you've heard it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And with these words, Jesus wasn't prescribing some checklist to gain access to the afterlife. He was describing what the church looks like in community on earth. And when he said these things, he followed it up with this. You, beloved, are the salt of the earth. But if salt becomes bland and loses its saltiness, can anything make it salty again? No, it is useless. And you, beloved, are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Similarly, it would be silly to light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. When someone lights a lamp, she puts it on a table or a desk, or a chair, and the light illumines the entire house. You are like that illuminating light. Let your light shine everywhere you go, that you may illumine creation. You know, an interesting thing about salt and light, it never is the focus. No one bites into a juicy steak and says, wow, that's the best salt I've ever tasted. No one walks into an art gallery and says, wow, would you look at that wall lighting and how beautiful that is? Salt and light, they enhance everything else and need no attention for itself. Or else Jesus would have said, you are the stake of the earth. You are the masterpiece of this world. No, he says, you are the salt. You are the light. Well, we know about salt in ancient times, much like today, it was used to preserve things. And in familiar ways, it was also used to enhance the flavor of food. So I like to think that in this way, Jesus is saying this, to live this life of faith, to be church in the world, you are to be about flavoring others. And you are sometimes being called to preserve others. Everything, because you are in the midst of it, is made better. And if you've sat long enough for an extended time in darkness, you know the value and the gift of light. Yet if somebody in the darkness is holding a light near you, you don't focus on the light, do you? You focus on everything that is now illuminated because the light is there. Jesus said, be like that. Be light where sometimes in this world it can get pretty dark. But don't be the focus as if you have all the answers or you have it all put together. You are already shining, just being who you are and whose you are. Just don't cover it up and shine. Salt and light. This is what it looks like to be the church in the world. And it grieves me to think that so much of the distrust and the outright rejection of the church is due to how we have failed to live into this identity that Jesus called us to be. 
Could it be that this present reformation will burn away a false Christianity and emerge a church that is defined in this way? Peacemakers, merciful, pure in heart, justice-oriented, advocate, illuminators of creation. I have hope. This morning, I really share kind of a 30,000-foot view of some key moments in the church's story. And as I wrap up, I want to zoom back in on us today, the River Church. You see, we'll soon be winding down our summer. A new school year will begin. The season will turn to fall. We'll get into some new routines in our church life here. And really, the question for us is this. What brand of Christianity will define this community, the River Church? Will we be salt and light, enhancing life and making it better for us, for those around us? Or will we put on a form of religion that only drives others away? Jesus' question is pretty uh, telling here. He says, if salt becomes bland and loses its saltiness, can it be made salty again? He says, no, it becomes useless. So I think our goal is to remain useful for the sake of a society that is aching for connection and acceptance and belonging. See, us this morning, we might call ourselves Christians because we believe in Jesus, but I feel what's more important for our time is that Jesus still believes in us, still believes in you and me, that we can be trusted to illumine creation that we can be humble enough to flavor and preserve the world. That's a lot of trust in us. You, beloved, are the salt of the earth. You, beloved, are the light of the world. May that be true of River Church. May that be true of you and me. Amen. I'd like to pray together. Would you join me? Creator God, we sense that you are birthing something new in our time. And by your Holy Spirit, make, it, make us useful to bring about your kingdom here on earth and reveal to us all that doesn't serve that purpose, that it might be stripped away. We desire to live into our identity as salt and light in our world. This you have called us to. Help us to serve and preserve those within our circles, those entrusted to our care that we would truly live as Christ modeled for us to live, full of grace and love. For the sake of your name we pray. Amen. Amen.